to tell It's gonna be a great Noel It's the Advent Calendar House Muppets, Black Man, Smurfs And even Garfield's Halloween We're gonna take a trip down memory Welcome back to the Advent Calendar House. A salute to all holiday specials, but mostly the Christmas ones. It's Christmas Eve, and it's our season finale, and it's time to play the music. So join us for a spectacular, spectacular Christmas extravaganza, taking us back 20 years to 2002. It's time to get things started with It's a Very Merry Muppet Christmas Movie. very strange enchanted frog having a nice Christmas here in Paris in the year 1900, Mike Westfall. And joining me, hanging from the rafters on a rope in an avant-garde costume representing five golden rings, it's Lindy. Welcome back, Lindy. Oh, I'm uh, so very tired from staying up late to await Santa and all of you puppets. <laughs> Happens all the time every year. Next, it's comedy legend who was accidentally spray-painted green while hiding in a tree lot and now resembles that guy who stole Christmas. Someone save him. It's Adam Juritich. Hey, Adam. Oh, hi, Mike. (laughs) Merry Christmas, if that's your thing. It's my thing. I can dig it. And my would-be lab assistant turned rave club bouncer in an alternate timeline. Please welcome Eric Johnson. Hi, Eric. Hi, ho, 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 everyone. Merry Christmas. Yeah. <laughs> oh, well done. Excellent. Thank you. Thank you. Let me get even more comfortable by drinking another sip of this funny green root beer. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks so much, y'all. This is what I've been saving for a Christmas Eve episode. And when I realized this movie was turning 20 years old this year, I decided the time was now. So let's hear about your histories with It's a Very Merry Muppet Christmas Movie, and we will start with Eric. All right. Thanks, Mike. Uh, I remember I saw this special on TV uh, when it first aired in 2002. I remember it came out uh, during my first year in high school, which definitely when I needed some warm Muppet nostalgia, that's for sure. Uh, Lindy, how about you? Um, I didn't watch it until just this week. I, wow. uh, 2001, I was in college and didn't have access to television because we didn't even have like basic stations. So I was completely unaware this even existed until I probably saw it on DVD shelf years later and just never sought it out, even though I do enjoy Muppets. So no explanation there. Yeah, I'm willing to bet not a lot of people have heard of this one, because even though it has been broadcast on TV since its uh, initial uh, broadcast, since it's technically not part of the Disney canon of Muppets, right? You know, it's on Disney Plus anytime soon. No, and we will get into that in just a bit. But first, let's hear about Adam's history with this. So I'm pretty sure I also watched it in the OG airing. But then I started watching it. And I'm like, I don't remember any of this. But it's been 20 years. So I was like, <laughs> yeah. eh, you know, it's entirely possible I did see it. Because like little bits would be like, oh, right. And then I'd be like, I don't. Nope. Nope. 
And they'd be like, well, maybe. And like, eh, I don't know. So kind of like Lindy, it's like, I'll, I will say for all intents and purposes, I only saw it recently for the first time, though that's probably not accurate. <laughs> <laughs> it's a long one, and I don't remember when I first watched this. It it wasn't the night it first aired, but I think it was soon after on video, perhaps. So it's a very Merry Muppet Christmas movie premiered on November 29th, 2002, the day after Thanksgiving, as NBC's movie of the week. <laughs> oh, it's just, it's so early 2000s. Like, it just, it just oh, yeah. oozes. Every poor is early 2000. It's wild. It's also very NBC. Yes, <laughs> it is. Yes, yes, it is. 100%. Uh, it's, it's a very interesting time capsule. Uh, and it has some other notable firsts and lasts. It's notably the first made-for-TV movie starring the Muppets, by which I mean not just Kermit, but the whole gang from The Muppet Show and or Muppets Tonight. It's the first Muppets production after Frank Oz retired in 2000. Yeah. So this is the first time we've seen and heard Eric Jacobson as Fozzie Bear and Animal. Uh, He had already started performing Miss Piggy the year before, but this is his first TV special performing her as well. Now, this is a little bit of a spoiler, and that's why I guess jumping ahead a bit. But did he also do, quote unquote, Yoda in that or not? Yes, I think so. Yeah, I, I, I meant to look it up to see actually who did Yoda because it was pretty spot on Yoda. But I was like, so maybe Frank, I mean, because it said he didn't do Fozzie, didn't do Miss Piggy. But I was like, maybe he did a, you know, five second cameo as Yoda. I don't know. No, Frank Oz has no involvement in this. Oh, well, there you but go. Enjoying retirement. Well, I mean, if you want to talk about voices without getting too deep into it, this is definitely one of those where it's like the post tense in years where mm-hmm. some of those voice changes are a little <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. as much as I love the characters like the first time Robin opened his mouth I'm like what was that and Scooter it's like <laughs> Robin's an interesting one we're going to get into yeah. that hashtag um, not my Robin <laughs> well it kind of is <laughs> well yeah but also notably this is the last Muppet project by the Jim Henson company before they sold the rights to the Muppets to Disney right so that's why this is not on Disney Plus or any other streaming platform for that matter. But it also means Disney wasn't in too much of a hurry to take down other copies of this that may or may not exist online. So, <laughs> Lindy, I'm curious, where, where did you watch it? I just dished out the four books and rented it on Amazon because I'm like, I don't have time to find a like less than stellar copy. I'm just going to stream it. Oh, I'm sorry. I found a pretty decent copy. Yes. Oh, I... I I didn't do any research. I'm not saying that it doesn't exist. I'm just saying, like, in the past, some of these episodes, it's like, oh, I can watch this one that's clipped into 50 parts on Vimeo and is in 480p, or I can just <laughs> pay and watch it on my television mm. in comfort, and I went with the latter. Hey, it works. The Christmas miracle. Yeah, I was in an interesting situation where my local library actually had a DVD copy. <gasps> nice. And- but I was also able to find a YouTube upload. Yes. Someone had watched really d- decent quality. Yeah. Someone had actually done of uh, the original broadcast that has commercials in it and everything. Oh, oh I didn't see the one I with see commercials. That one yeah. That's a real time capsule experience as well. You wow. Know? It was such a thing to be reminded. Oh, yeah. Flip phones, <laughs> film, and they were still doing that uh, Mastercard priceless commercial, which I forgot actually starred the Muppets in it at one point. Oh, 
Yeah, that uh, early 2000s technology stands out right away when they're like, I mean, without getting too much into the actual concept, but the comment of Kermit saying, everyone turn off your cell phones and pagers. And it's like, <laughs> oh, it's just an extended joke about that, not yeah. about like screens and stuff. It's like, yeah, it's a, a little bit before the iPhone, wouldn't it? <laughs> yup. Uh, thankfully, they have aired this on Freeform during 25 days of Christmas in the last few years and including this year. But I remember watching this on VHS, oddly enough. Nice. I don't remember owning it, though. But the VHS copy came packaged with a Muppet Show 25th anniversary CD called Music, Mayhem and More, which I did keep. So I don't know whether I maybe one of my college roommates kept the movie and I kept the CD. Uh, this came out my senior year at college. I'm sure you're really worried about carrying VHS with you for like 20 plus years that aren't home movies. <laughs> right. <laughs> I actually have my original copy of uh, my Path and Holy Grail VHS still. Nice. So my parents still have quite a VHS collection. So uh, and I will have gone up by the time this airs. So we'll see what they still <laughs> have. I might scope out some stuff. Yeah, I disposed of a lot of my VHS tapes only to discover this time last year that Dad actually kept the VCR this whole time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I remember watching this at my place in college instead of at home during the Thanksgiving break. So I'm going with that. I'm going. I saw this later on, on a video copy. Uh, but it had been a long time before I watched this again. Not too many years ago now. And when I did... It was after I had seen the Muppets movie from 2011, and I thought, wait a minute. It's not beat for beat the same story, but there are definitely parallels. Yeah. Oh, Muppet Wiki actually has an article with like seven to 11 bullet points of similarity. <laughs> Good old Muppet Wiki. I don't think anyone intentionally copied this. I think no. the Muppet has just been a long enough running franchise that there may be some unintentional self-plagiarism. Sure. And again, different owners, so... Oh, for sure. Yeah. Yeah, and, and this one definitely comes off like it would be like the rehearsal for what became the movie. <laughs> That's true. Yeah. Uh, so let's get right into it. I love the opening montage of this where New York City or a park nearby is bustling with intermingling Muppets and humans on Christmas Eve. That's something you don't see as often now just because Disney prefers to pull from existing characters they have the rights to, whereas I think the Henson Company had infinite anything Muppets at their disposal for scenes just like this. Yeah. yeah actually, before we get too far in the opening, can we talk about the title for a little bit? <laughs> yes, uh, it's definitely a reference to It's a Wonderful Life, so it's going to be it, it's doing the It's a Wonderful Life story. Yeah. Yeah, that was uh, the whole hook that uh, prompted me to say, hey, Mike, have you seen this? Yeah. <laughs> sure have. From when you talked about the uh, 90210 uh, It's a Wonderful Life episode uh, last season, I believe it was. I, mm -hmm. I'm certain there have been plenty of Christmas specials that crib from this plot. But Oh, yeah. Yeah, I'm just, you know, it's a very Merry Muppet Christmas movie is just such a generic sounding title. <laughs> <laughs> imdb trivia it was a choice between either that or it's a wonderful frog well i'm glad they picked this uh, one yeah those are those are i call <laughs> yeah i 
say very merry Muppet while generic is probably more marketable. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, at least know what you're getting. <laughs> yeah. Personally, I would have gone with it's a Muppet full life, but even I will admit that's far from ideal. Yeah, I think they did the best with uh, the choices they had on the table here. <laughs> I also will note during these opening credits, you hear a bunch of people wishing each other happy holidays, Merry Christmas, and happy Hanukkah. This premiered on the first night of Hanukkah, so oh. I'll allow it, even though it's Christmas Eve in the movie. I don't care about <laughs> timelines quite that much. <laughs> well, we're going to change some timelines later on. Yeah, so. exactly. That's right. Uh, I will say the most recent Hanukkah during the filming of this did coincide with Christmas Eve, so, but put a pin in that for now. Uh, but at the end of this walk through a snowy city park, we meet our would-be narrator, Joe Snow, a very <laughs> obvious ripoff of Burl Ives as Sam the Snowman, but voiced by Mel Brooks. Why, if I live to be 102, I'll never forget the year that the Muppets almost missed Christmas. And I see Storm pulling and I... Hey, buddy, what are you doing? We're trying to make a movie over here. It made me very happy. Yes. It, well, it, it kind of shocked me at first because also the the Joe Snow puppet is a little disconcerting because it's like, oh, okay, that's, they're just coming right out with it. Yeah, this <laughs> is like a full body Muppet. Yeah. Have you guys ever seen the photos of um, Hoggle when they found him in a suitcase? Like, yes. Oh. Later? Oh. Okay. I'm just picturing the Jack Frost puppet from the Jack Frost movie. <laughs> um, and they're like, I don't know, stick some glitter on it. Right, exactly. Like, Throw a hat on, be fine. <laughs> yeah. The Mel Brooks voice does a lot of heavy lifting here. Yes. Oh, absolutely. Uh, that's dead on accurate to the way you describe that, Lindy. But, but this was a great quick joke. Mel Brooks comes in to do a voice for all of ten seconds. He'll show up again later, also very briefly. Uh, in the actual snowman suit is Alan Troutman. We talked about him before. He was he did the face puppetry for Fran Sinclair on Dinosaurs. Hmm. Uh, and he's still working with the Muppets, so still good relationship there, which is always nice to see. He might even have his original shoulders. Yeah, probably. <laughs> and you know, actually, speaking of Mel Brooks, you know, he made a cameo in the Muppet movie years ago. And yes, true. he did. He won't be the only uh, previous Muppet guest star uh, appearing in this movie. He will not. We uh, have at least one more. Um, but our on-screen director shoves Joe Snow out of this movie. The actual director is Kirk Thatcher, who always does a great work with the Muppets. Recently wrote and directed Muppets Haunted Mansion in 2021, which I loved. But if y'all don't know Kirk Thatcher from his Muppet-adjacent work, you might know him best from Star Trek IV The Voyage Home as the punk rocker on the bus with the boombox. Nice. Is that right? Yes. Oh. Same guy. Oh. Uh, he also shows up again on Picard as the same character, but he's a lot more apologetic that time. <laughs> 80s scumbag with the boombox is my favorite lane of like weird random characters. <laughs> oh, yeah. So we eventually arrive at the Muppet Theater where there's a cozy little party swinging backstage with Johnny Fiamma singing Jingle Bells. Hey. Jingle bells, jingle bells, jingle all the way. Oh, what fun it is to ride in a one-horse open sleigh. So, I I don't care for Johnny Fiamma. You don't? He's, he's just, uh, he's never been my cup of tea. He's kind of a one-joke 
Muppet, and he just doesn't yeah. do it for me. Okay. Just never, never has. It's all about Sal, though. It is all Sal's about Sal. Sal's the best part. Yeah. Yeah, but but I see Sal kind of the back seat in this thing. It's really a lot more Johnny. Yeah, so. there is a lot of Johnny in this. Yeah, it's, it's like, eh. Yep. Eh. Oh, yes, I actually have some fun trivia here about Johnny Fiamma and his pal uh, Sal Manila there. Yes. They were a buddy duo introduced on Muppets Tonight. Yep. To Brian Henson, the performers got together with a bunch of random puppets and started working out characters for Muppets Tonight. Bill Beretta picked up a puppet and started singing as Johnny Femia, but everyone else was fooling around with their own puppets and not paying attention. <laughs> so Brian picked up a monkey and said, Would you all quiet down and listen to Johnny Femia? <laughs> <laughs> And thus, Sal Manila was born, and he became Johnny's inseparable monkey flunky. Yes. Yes. So Johnny Fiamma is basically a Rat Pack-style crooner who had his own segment on Muppets Tonight with Sal Manila. Another fun fact, Famia is an anagram of Mafia. Yes, it is. <laughs> Reference to how uh, Frank Sinatra allegedly rose to fame. <laughs> time. Allegedly. <laughs> allegedly. <laughs> don't see those two too often these days. They did show no. up in uh, Muppets Haunted Mansion, which I was very happy to see them again. <laughs> uh, but in addition to It's a Wonderful Life, they parody a bunch of other Christmas stories all through this, including in this party scene, several send-ups of the Gift of the Magi. Yes. Do y'all have a favorite Gift of the Magi pairing here? I uh, gotta say it's uh, Rizzo and Gonzo because they are always a great duo. Yes. Gonzo, mm. I sold my collection of rare cheese to buy you this crystal petri dish for your mold collection. <laughs> oh. Uh, gee, Rizzo, I sold my mold collection to buy you this diamond-tipped cheese slicer. The line that just slays me is, did you save the receipt? <laughs> yes. <laughs> and I'm shocked they continued the gag after that because it's like, that's the high bar there. Lindy or Adam? Oh, uh, Beaker and Bunsen, of course. Like, not only do they just, you know, we I forget if this is before or after they've established the fact that they may or may not have a relationship outside of the lab, but just Bunsen getting Beaker excitedly, like, hazardous material. <laughs> oh, Beaky, you sold your periodic table of the elements autographed by Stephen Hawking to buy me this stand for my electron microscope? Oh, but I sold my electron microscope to buy you these rare mutagenic elements. Which Beaker opens, causing him to grow a second head. <laughs> Which I was hoping would stick through the whole rest of the thing, but sadly. Nah. Yeah. yeah. I'm seeing double four Beakers. <laughs> I do like how we get to see all the little duos here. Yes. Yeah. That's a great thing the Muppets have. They always have great characters to bounce off each other. I think the whole bit works. I know it seems it's kind of not quite what you asked, but I just, I enjoyed that whole exchange. Oh, it does. Even with Johnny and, and Sal. Well, they, yeah, they, they, <laughs> they punctuate the, right. They, yeah finalize the the rule of three in comedy exactly. with uh Johnny, my best oh. friend in the whole wide world i sold my moped to buy you this solid gold racket plan well thanks so thanks yeah thanks so <laughs> yeah. uh and then here comes kermit he shows up to the party followed by fozzy and right away we see he's upset yeah, yeah. which is 
extra noticeable on Kermit because he's one of the few Muppets with a built-in smile as his default face. <laughs> yeah, I'm so glad we had these gags in before things got too mopey. Yeah. Yeah, really. Uh, Kermit is not in the mood. He tries to go off in a corner or whatever, but Miss Piggy is standing under some mistletoe, looking fantastic in a sparkly Kermit green top, by the way. <laughs> hey, hey, with a connection, you're absolutely right. I feel like a Christmas top, but, but it was very Kermit green, you're right. Yeah, I very rarely use the word stan as a verb, but I stand Miss Piggy as a fashion icon. <laughs> <laughs> Hey, I, I always wonder what the, to me, I mean, I like Miss Piggy, but she's definitely like person, like second tier for me. It's just like, oh, sure. But it was, I, I guess she's pretty popular the worldwide. That, that seems pretty oh, yeah. thing to say. Yeah. Yeah. It's just always funny to me how people make such a big deal out of her. But to me, it was like, I mean, she's no gonzo. That's, you know, that's fine. I think it's part of the joke and everyone's just in on it that like yeah. Miss Piggy is this icon. And I love that that's part of the joke. It, it works. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, asks for just one Christmas kiss, but Kermit is a whole new level of impatient we've never seen from Kermit, I don't think. Yeah. Just one Christmas Away. kiss. What Piggy, would you please leave me alone? Pause. Like, I've seen plenty of impatient Kermit in the past, if you've been paying attention, especially on Sesame Street, Kermit would fly off the handle all the time on Sesame Street. See, don't work with kids. That's it. <laughs> uh, but Kermit is super quick to snap at Piggy tonight, and that makes the whole party stop. And Piggy is speechless and runs off. Gonzo's the one to ask Kermit what's wrong, and he explains to everyone who's left, we lost everything, the money, the theater... And we, the audience, aren't exactly sure what he means yet, but he apologizes to everyone for convincing them to, quote, believe in his dream, but he claims it was all for nothing. And here's where we first hear his nephew, Robin, trying to be optimistic and asking, But it'll work out all right, right, Uncle Kermit? Did Robin's voice sound weird to y'all? Yes, very 100%. much so. Here's the weird thing. It's still Jerry Nelson doing his voice. Wait, what? It was? Yes. But it was like modulated too high for some reason. But here's the thing. He's not doing the puppetry this time. He was sick during production. Yeah. So it's a different puppeteer. And Jerry dubbed in his lines later. And I guess for some reason, his voice got modulated higher. Like maybe to get the dubbing speed right. I don't know. I don't know. But it it, it was like the living example of that family guy joke where they talk about wrong sounding moments. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> like, Robin's one of my favorites. He's just like got that such a sweet, gentle voice. Oh and yeah! Like here you get caught wrong. It was like no, what happened? Yeah, it was it was really off. Uh, and Kermit is so depressed about losing the theater that he tells Robin not this time, and he just walks out. I literally thought I'd missed something. Honestly, I was watching it earlier or uh, the other day. I was like, did I? Is it like talking this movie missing that I? Because I didn't realize it was you know going to be jumping back and forth in time. And I was, I was very, very confused, but I actually stopped the movie and like looked to see if I if I missed something or not. Yeah, sure. If you're watching a stream of this, you're probably thinking, did I accidentally start in the middle? Exactly. That's what I did. <laughs> yeah, it's a classic trope of start at the most, uh, the highest dramatic point. Yeah. <laughs> uh, well, out into the snow, Kermit passes an unnamed frog with his tongue stuck to a frozen pole like flicking a Christmas story. That, that was excellent. Yeah. 
Uh, and Kermit tells this frog, I can't help you. I'll ruin your life. <laughs> Kermit, help me. He's like, nah. <laughs> I'll ruin your life. Yeah. That was dark. Yeah. Did not think that would be the most quotable Kermit line of this Christmas special, but it's up there. Kermit goes to sit in a park bench by himself, shivering in the snow. When we zoom out to reveal, Kermit is being watched from a computer monitor in a very white cubicle in a very white corporate office building in heaven. The color white, I mean. <laughs> <laughs> like everything looks like it's been bleached. Uh, and the person watching him is a nerdy looking angel with Coke bottle glasses named Daniel played by former WCW World Heavyweight <laughs> Champion, David Arquette. Excellent. Excellent reference. That's amazing. Kermit the Frog has got a real problem. So you're going to want to send someone down there so they can uh, dish out a little Yuletide justice. And for those keeping track on your David Arquette filmography scorecards, this is just a few months after Eight-Legged Freaks. Excellent. Oh. Yeah, he was definitely prime Marquette in that in this movie. Oh, yeah. Uh, there's a lot of celebrity cameos in this, but David Arquette's is one of the biggest, and he's perfect here, I think. He just gets the Muppets. Yeah. Yep, and David Arquette was previously a doctor on Muppets from Space. Oh, that's right. Mm. Yeah, not a lot of time with the actual Muppets, but he's Daniel the Angel here. He prefers being called Daniel and not Dan or Danny, even though that's what all his coworkers can't stop calling him in heaven. I was never a fan of depicting heaven as this everyday corporate office. I'm tired of it. Like it's been done, <laughs> but fine. The cast does their best with it here. I wonder when that, where that concept originated. I don't know. It sounds like something that would be in like an old novella or something. Yeah. I don't know. It's a simple enough idea that, you know, Oh, heaven is really just this simple everyday thing that uh, we can relate to easily enough. Yeah. Right. Like going to work. <laughs> well, like, aren't the angels supposed to be the ones working? That's why it's dull for them. But like, if it was a person out there, it should be like, oh, this is awesome. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Yeah. This isn't theology I expected to get into. Whoops. <laughs> That explains the angels here, including uh, Daniel's supervisor, Glenn, played by William H. Macy. Dan, Danny, Daniel, we have strict guidelines that define what is and isn't an emergency. I can't just dispatch a field agent without a thorough review from the subcommittee. Come on. Again, excellent. He really is like it's another it's a short part, but but it's great. Uh, and in his filmography, this comes between Welcome to Collinville and The Cooler. <laughs> so Daniel tries to explain the situation, which seems pretty clear to me. Kermit the Frog has got a real problemo, which you'd think would be some kind of code red. But Glenn tells him, no, this isn't an emergency. That requires paperwork, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> but Daniel's not hearing it. Kermit deserves justice, he says. And real quick, in the background of this scene, one of the other angels, a guy with shoulder length hair and a beard, is Jonathan Bruce. A year later, we'd see him an elf as Dirk Lawson, the guy in the biker bar who doesn't want to admit he wants pampering at Burke Williams Spa for Christmas. <laughs> Must be another Dirk Lawson. Yeah. Uh, so 
Daniel tells Glenn, if you're not going to do your job, I'm taking Kermit's case to the boss. We're doing this thing again where no one who works for God (laughs) wants to say the word God. It's always the boss or the man upstairs. It's not the man upstairs in this because the boss is revealed to be Whoopi Goldberg. It's the Whoopi upstairs. It's the Whoopi upstairs. (laughs) Danny from accounting, right? Uh, Yeah. Danny L. Danny L. Danny L. Well, Danny L., do we have an appointment? No. But this is an emergency. It's about Kermit the Frog. Listen, I don't worry about him. He always does the right thing. Uh, Not my very favorite version of famous person as the Lord. I still like Alanis Morissette and Dogma because I'm a big dork from New Jersey. But Whoopi is definitely (laughs) up there. Yeah, I I was pleasantly surprised. I thought she did a amicable job. Yep. And Whoopi will actually be in some later Muppet Christmas specials. She'll do some more interacting with them directly in uh, Muppets Letters from Santa. Yes. In addition to the various times that she interacted with the Muppets on Oscar skits and on The View. Oh, yeah. All the time. All the time. Uh, And in her filmography, this comes between two other Christmas movies. (laughs) 2001's Call Me Claus, in which she's chosen to replace a retiring Santa played by Nigel Hawthorne in his final role ever. Oh, I remember that one. Yeah, I got to put that on the list. That sounds like a weird, the Santa Claus knockoff, but like, let's just change a couple of things. <laughs> Lenny, you beat me to it. I'm like, this, this, that's been done. <laughs> yeah, I haven't watched that, but it sounds like the Santa Claus meets Whoopi's own movie, The Associate. <laughs> yeah, um, it was an interesting time for Whoopi Goldberg. She was sort of moving, perhaps not intentionally, from being a screen actor to doing a lot of television work. Yeah. I wonder if maybe that's why uh, she doesn't interact with the Muppets in this movie. She was still a little burnt by all the uh, puppets she had to deal with in Theodore Rex. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. Yeah, that was still Henson's Creature Shop, I think, or, or a gym. Yeah, yeah, that's that was the Theodore Rex was the actual uh, the same puppet that you, they used for the dad and dinosaurs. Yep. Was it? Yep. Or what? Yeah, one of them. They're, they're definitely the same uh, dinosaurs. So maybe that's it. Uh, But on the other end of this, Whoopi was in 2003's Blizzard as the voice of the title character, a reindeer whose father is Blitzen. Santa in that one is played by Christopher Plummer. Oh, I've never seen that. That one's cute. Very TV movie vibe to it, but yeah, fun to watch at least once. So Daniel rings the doorbell to the boss's office, which plays the NBC chimes because subtlety. (laughs) (laughs) And yes, that scene is cut when it's shown on Freeform. Oh, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. I wonder if the other NBC gags are cut then as well, are they? Yes, they are. Oh, no kidding. Some of those have me laughing pretty good. (laughs) They are. Yeah. No, they cut those. Uh And unlike the featureless white office corridor, the boss's office is this vibrant, flowery meadow with a giant butterfly (laughs) and a shrub that makes coffee. And a giant couch. (laughs) And a giant couch. Uh, So Whoopi says she doesn't worry about Kermit. He always does the right thing. 
But Daniel insists he's afraid Kermit may never do the right thing again if they don't do something. So that convinces the boss to postpone her meeting with the Archangels to plan Armageddon. <laughs> Suddenly this turned into good omens. Yeah, right. <laughs> uh, that was a great line. Though their plan does include trying to get Streisand for the post party. So that'll be fun. <laughs> A big get, even for God herself. Yeah. And so she takes a look at Kermit's case, and if she's convinced Kermit needs their help, she'll send her best agent, she says. Otherwise, Daniel will be given the task of transferring her extremely tall stack of records to MP3 files. So, so 2002. A oh very 2002 <laughs> joke. I wrote the exact same thing in my notes. Uh, this This was before the iTunes store. Yeah. Uh, do y'all remember when or if you spent a crazy long time ripping all your music CDs onto <laughs> your Heck hard yes. drive? Yeah, I yes. do. Yes. This was right around the time I got my first iPod. So I think I ripped every CD I owned <laughs> to stuff it onto that. And it took months. Oh, I bet. <laughs> I'm so glad I was a filthy pirate. <laughs> <laughs> a little of column A, a little of column B. Right. God's an honest God, so there's only one column, and it's very tall. <laughs> uh, so they pull up Kermit's file on a golden frame held in the air by two golden cherub statues. And because this is the It's a Wonderful Life portion of the program, we have to rewind a few days to get the full picture of what Kermit's so distraught about, how he lost the theater, and why he's run out of hope. So we rewind back to Kermit promoting the Muppets Big Christmas Eve show on Last Call with Carson Daly. Guys, <laughs> this is uh, wonderful. Listen, Kermit, I love the Muppets, so I, for one, will be there front and center at your Christmas Eve performance. And I urge everybody watching to come to the show, too. Oh, thank you, Carson. That's great. I'm so glad these references will never be dated. Right. <laughs> <laughs> hey, adults, remember Carson Daly? Yeah. Now, look, I want to preface by saying that I'm going to, you know, poke a lot of fun at this special's expense for its dated references. And look, I get it. Whenever you release something out there, it's going to be instantly dated to yeah. the time period it was made. Sure. I mean. Show any kid today the original Muppet movie, and none of them will get the hair Krishna joke. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just saying, it, it may lean a little heavily on contemporary references. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but Last Call with Carson Daly was a new show at the time. It premiered in January of that year. Oh, wow. Do y'all know when the last episode of Last Call was? Um, you said January of that year is when it premiered was when it premiered when did last call with carson daly air their last episode february of that year no <laughs> <laughs> last call with carson daly was on the air until 2019 holy crap i was gonna wow. 10 years i didn't Man. even know it made it out of the aughts may 2019 was the final episode huh. oh yeah actually I did know that a little bit because didn't they give the show to Lily Singh and then it just like bombed? Yes, they did. Okay. But I think we were all just shocked that it was still on the air. I'm like, wait, really? Yeah, I only just discovered that uh, Jerry Springer is still around doing TV. Wow. That I didn't know. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I didn't seek it out. It was just on the TV at the uh, car repair place. So. <laughs> right. That's the only place where I'm going to catch, like, daytime television, to be honest. 
Exactly. How old is Jerry Springer at this point? He had to be in his high 80s, I swear. And now I got to look that up. Yeah, me too. I'm sorry I brought us to this point. 78. 78. Oh, God. I swear to God, I thought I was expecting him to be so much older, but hey, yeah, good for him, I guess. Well, he doesn't look a day over 120. <laughs> so that Carson Daly clip is on a VHS tape Kermit shows to Fozzie and Gonzo, and then we jump right into our next cameo. Actually, I should point out that uh, on the DVD, uh, there's a, the Carson Daly scene. Uh, there's an extended scene where Kermit talks about getting the Muppet Theater from Scooter's uncle and how they inherited all of his debts. Oh, well, that would have been very helpful. Thank you, Eric. I made Shotgun with similar deleted scenes later. Great. Wow. Yeah, didn't didn't watch the deleted scene, so. Yeah, apparently there's a half an hour's worth of cut footage and wow. there's eight minutes of it on the DVD, at least. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. I'm sure not a cameo was cut, nor was an advertisement for an MDC product. <laughs> Actually, there were a few cut celebrity appearances. Apparently, Snoop Dogg made a cameo. Oh, oh I did see that Snoop Dogg made a cameo that didn't make it onto the, onto the air. Yeah, but uh, it's not on DVD, but uh, there's just a grainy photo available on Muppet Wiki. So. Yes. So... Gonzo has taken it upon himself to hire a very French choreographer named Luc Fromage to help with the show's big musical number. And Luc Fromage is played as over the top as humanly possible <laughs> by Matthew Lillard. I took you little 12 days of Christmas yep. and I made them into this, this great... Into the journey of this soul, but not this soul, no, or this no, soul, no, 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 no. the oh, deep yes. soul. Very, very ah, deep. Who I did not even recognize until I looked it up later. Really? Oh, I knew it was him right Oh, away. yeah, same. I assumed he was going to be like the main uh, antagonist for this thing. So did I. <laughs> when I first watched this, I'm like, oh, this guy's bad news. Uh, exactly. This is just a few months after Scooby-Doo, so we're in that era of Matthew Lillard's career. Yeah. Right and high, baby. Oh, yeah. I love him showing up and just doing the most with it and being as, like, he like he knows what role he's playing, and yeah. I appreciate that. Oh, yeah. But even better, of course, is Gonzo just the whole time being like, yes, this is art. This is stunning. This is right. <laughs> it's just like, I have gotten my money's worth. Yeah. So, so Luke Fromage has taken the 12 days of Christmas and made them into what he calls the great journey into the soul. <laughs> and it's ridiculous. Uh, it's a send up of the worst art housey production starring these giant 12 foot tall furry stick figure Muppets with big noses. Is anyone familiar with these giant Muppets? They look so familiar, and I couldn't place them. They're called the Boss Men. They were created in 1971 for a stage show in Vegas starring Nancy Sinatra. But they would show up on The Muppet Show a few times, most notably dancing with Petula Clark to The Girl from Ipanema, and again on Muppets Tonight with Paula Abdul and Clifford to Opposites Attract. Oh, yes. That's what I was thinking of. We've got some other clown-like Muppets here parodying Cirque du Soleil. Uh, only Cirque here, du Lame. Yes, only here it's, well, Cirque du Soleil, but as Kermit That's, points out, it looks like so lame. 
<laughs> that was great. That was so good. So good. Uh, but the whole thing falls apart with Piggy dressed in a five golden rings costume of some sort. Because, of course, Piggy's got to represent five gold rings. <laughs> uh, but she gets stuck and the rats and Scooter can't hang on to her backstage. So the whole thing falls apart and it's terrible. But Kermit tries to be polite and say, well, it's not really what I was hoping for. But that by itself offends Luke Fromage so much. He quits on the spot. Just are you blind? <laughs> Yeah, again, that's I again. I thought that even more solidified the uh, uh, Matthew Litter going to be the bad guy in this thing, right? So incensed, and then come back and do something yeah. other. Yeah. Of note, Rizzo here gets sent flying into a wall and bangs his nose, which is left shiny and red. As you do, right? <laughs> and here's also where we introduce the actual antagonist of the movie and the real star. The new owner of the bank providing the Muppets with their loan for the theater, Rachel Bitterman, played by the always amazing Joan Cusack. Hello, Muffins! Hello. Hi. Hello. Hi. Rachel Bitterman, new owner of Bitterman Bank and Development. Oh, well, where's Mr. Bitterman? Dead. She is really enjoying hamming it up here. Yes. Her introduction, she puts emphasis on every lip movement. Yes. yes. Which makes a little indulgent, but I totally get it because, you know, her character has relatively a relatively short amount of screen time compared to, you know, the Muppets. So it's not right. It's not like she's gonna pull a Michael Caine and be dramatic to contrast their silliness. Yeah. She's got a short amount of screen time. She's going to try and make as much an impact as possible. She cracked out her Adam's Family Values best. Like, yes. I'm going to be the, the best villain here. And I love every second of it just because she's a fantastic comedic actress. But just her in that type of role is something you didn't get to see too often. And this is a prime example of why that's a sad thing. Yes, that, that was my note. I love when Joan Cusack gets to be the villain. Uh, in Joan Cusack's filmography, this comes in between her short-lived ABC sitcom, What About Joan, and School of Rock. Oh. Huh. But Rachel Bitterman, she's our Mr. Potter character, walks into the theater in this fantastic all-black fur and leather outfit, and she has inherited the Bitter Bank and Development, that's B-Bad for short. Mm-hmm. <laughs> From the recently deceased Mr. Bitterman, it's not clear what their relationship was, but she's in charge now. And unlike her kindly predecessor, she finds no reason to let the Muppets extend their contract and pay her after the whole week of shows. She wants them to pay off their loan in full by midnight on the 24th. That's Christmas Eve. That's today. That's today. Or vacate the theater. But a determined Kermit tells her, we're going to get you that money. And she replies, when pigs fly, <laughs> which cues Miss Piggy flying across them from still dangling on that rope. For the record, I consider that flying pig to be a coincidence and not a sign from God. So out storms Rachel, followed by Pepe the King Prawn, who would rather work for monies than for stardust, okay? <laughs> yep. yep. Pepe, breakout star of Muppets Tonight. Yes. Yeah. Still hanging out. 
Yeah. And we should establish that uh, before he goes off with uh, Rachel Bitterman there, he uh, was getting all the permits necessary for the Muppet Theater. Right. And wanted to go down and hang out with Ricky Martin. Yes, he wanted he wanted to. He said Kermit needs to pay for a flight to Miami so he can hang out at Ricky Martin's Christmas party. But he decides to follow Rachel Bitterman in part because he tells Kermit she's hot. <laughs> Such a horn dog in this one. Yeah, well, he ain't wrong, but don't do your friends dirty like that. Seriously. Yeah, Pepe's a bit of a flirt. So just a smidge. Yeah. Just like that other Pepe that, uh, you know, the skunk. Yeah. <laughs> oh, right. Pepe the King Prawn is uh, much more consensual, shall we say? <laughs> Knows his boundaries? Well, I think his uh, comedic emphasis is more placed on his failures. Yes, absolutely. So we're backstage, and there's a great quick gag here where Fozzie says it'll take a miracle to save the theater, and we suddenly hear harp music. Yeah. <laughs> But it's just, it's just Janice upstairs tuning her harp and having her one line on the show. Oops, sorry. Like I was totally just tuning up my harp. Janice here, also performed by Brian Henson, as is Scooter. This is the first time either of those characters had any speaking lines since Richard Hunt died in 1992. Yeah. Still very jarring, but... Yeah. You know... He did what he could with it. Sure, yeah. Uh, and if anybody had to take up that mantle first, I'm glad it was Brian Henson. Yeah. Uh, but right here, Kermit's more himself trying to be the optimist, reassuring his friends, maybe they'll be okay. Though, after Bunsen Honeydew crunches the numbers on his window operating system, which is literally a window he draws on in Sharpie. This is great. Because Beautiful Mind was a movie that came out recently. Hmm. <laughs> I wonder if they'll reference that. Mimi, Momo, Mimi, mind. Yes, I think you have a beautiful mind, too. Uh, but he determines the only way to make enough money to keep the theater is to not pay anyone until New Year's of the following year. So Kermit presents that option to defer everyone's wages, which nobody likes, particularly Sam the Eagle, who's notably not bald as he asks, How will I afford my Papisha? Weird joke, but even weirder that he is voiced in this by Kevin Clash doing his Hoots the Owl voice. Yeah, that again threw me off big time. Yeah. It's like, wait a minute, that's the wrong bird of prey. <laughs> uh, Eric Jacobson wouldn't take over for Sam until 2005, but the combination of Kevin Clash's Hoots voice and the full head of hair was super weird. Yeah. Yeah. It's basically weird because I missed the joke. I missed what he said. So I was also like, what is what is happening right now? Like, <laughs> I cannot tell what is going on in the scene. Yeah, and it's not a typical Sam the Eagle joke. Usually he's objecting to some sort of, you know, this content is unsanitary. You are right. all weirdos. <laughs> uh, but Piggy is already out the door. She's got another gig. So she's packed up and headed out with assistance from our old pal Bean Bunny. Hey, Bean. A Hollywood doctor show needs a hip young star with her finger on the pulse of today's urban <laughs> And, well, naturally, they called more. Gets crushed by a suitcase. But it's Fozzie who rallies everyone together, saying, Kermit's already given up so much for us, we owe it to him to try. And so one by one, they all agree to defer their paychecks, put everything they have left into this Christmas Eve show to show Ms. Bitterman what they can accomplish when they come together. 
And then we cut to Bitterman's office, where Pepe is now working as her assistant. I'd like to present this scene as Exhibit A for why Fozzie Bear is the greatest character in this special. Yes, he is. Yep. He rallies everyone's to Kermit's cause. Reminded me a lot of Great Muppet Caper. Yeah, yeah. That's a very good comparison. And Fozzie will only do more so to uh, show his worth later in the special. But for now, we cut to Bitterman's office where Pepe is now working as her assistant. And Rachel sweet talks Pepe into revealing he has the only copy of the Muppets contract with the bank. And here she reveals her plans to close the Muppet Theater and reopen it as Club Dot, a trendy nightclub that Pepe thinks needs bigger doors because he doesn't understand the concept of scale models. Ahem, Zoolander. Ahem. <laughs> well, yeah, you beat me to it there. Yeah. <laughs> and Rachel doesn't even apologize for the crudity of those models. Yeah. Happy Back to the Future Day. Still got it. <laughs> Got to do that at least once per episode, right, Mike? <laughs> I mean, not once per episode. It's been kind of sparse lately, so glad we got it in there. Uh, but we cut back to the theater where some Muppet can-can dancers are practicing under the direction of another Muppets Tonight favorite, Howard Tubman, noted foodie and wealthy heir of America's oldest and fattest family, the Tubmans of Porksmith. So how's it going here, Howard? Oh, Kermit! Mm-hmm. Things could not mwah, be mwah, better, mwah, period. Mm-hmm. Is it possible to give 110% because mm-hmm. that's what I'm getting from these girls? So Howard's always had this voice, but it's gotten more exaggerated since his first appearance. Yeah. Like in this movie, we're, we've reached peak Howard Tubman. Yeah, he doesn't have any personal boundaries either. No. No, he doesn't. A <laughs> little cringy, a little cringy. Yeah, but... Uh, He also appears in Muppets Haunted Mansion, so I hope we see more of him again. Yeah. We also see the making of a little drummer boy sketch starring who else? Animal. Drummer boy! (laughs) Who has an unfortunately tiny part in this whole thing. Yeah. Yeah. Not a lot of Animal. I was surprised. But Kermit finds himself in a predicament he always seems to find himself in. His show's just missing something. (laughs) Wasn't that the issue from the Muppets Take Manhattan and the answer was just more frogs and dogs and bears and chickens, etc.? Yes. Mm -mm. Um, I think a couple other times, too. (laughs) Right. Uh, But instead, they land on the idea that this show needs celebrity star power. So Kermit gets on his big red star phone and starts calling up and getting rejected by a quick montage of his famous friends, whose phone numbers he happens to have in his Rolodex, including Kelly Ripa. I don't know, Kermit. I was planning on spending the holidays with my loved ones. Molly Shannon, who's apparently been stalking Kermit, so she's out. Yeah, that was a great <laughs> bit. I did not follow what she saying at first. And I was like, holy crap. <laughs> Let me remind you about the last time I worked with a frog. We fell madly in love. So naturally, I have a key made to his apartment. I break in and reorganize his closets while he's at work as a little favor. And how am I rewarded for going to all this trouble? The frog stops calling me. Remember that? Love Molly Shannon. Uh, it's also implied that he calls Madonna, Angelina Jolie, Arnold Schwarzenegger, and Mr. Rogers. But we don't see any of them on our end. Yeah. And Sean Connery. And Sean Connery. That's right. <laughs> I was like, they're dead. They're dead. They're dead. <laughs> yeah, again, a great example of the time period this was made in when he yeah. calls up certain people and only refers to them by first name. 
you know, in a time where like, oh, that person was famous enough to have that name exclusive to them. Yes. Madonna, obviously, but, you know. Angelina. Meant, yeah, Angelina, Brittany, and Nicole, he says in sequence. And he calls, Courtney, would you like a Muppets t-shirt? <laughs> I, he means Courtney Cox from Friends, yeah. but I can't say with certainty. I would have guessed Courtney Cox, too, especially with the involvement of David Arquette in this. Yeah. And, ooh, to be rejected by Mr. Rogers. Ouch. <laughs> right. You're in a bad spot when Fred Rogers has to decline. Yeah. Although this special did air three months before his passing. That's so. true, too. Yeah. So, uh. so if anyone would have had use for, you know, bowing out. Mm. <laughs> I was going to say, I have to admit, though, you're talking about exclusivity of names. And he, as he's going through it and he goes, I didn't hear him say Angelina. I thought he said Angeline. Like he was talking about that L.A. Billboard model oh. wannabe star. Oh. <laughs> and I'm like, I mean, she kind of looks like a Muppet. So maybe <laughs> <laughs> well, now I learned that that was wrong. So. Uh, she would have okay. taken the gig. but <laughs> Yes, she would. <laughs> But Kermit's final rejection might be the hardest to swallow because its fellow showbiz puppet triumphed the insult <laughs> comic dog who doesn't disappoint. Muppet movies are always the best. You mean that? For me to poop on! <laughs> uh, right, right. You, you got me again. Bye-bye. Uh, uh, <laughs> oh, wow. He's experiencing experimenting with some PG-rated material there. Uh, yeah, well... <laughs> So with no other options, the other Muppets convince Kermit to go talk with Piggy, who I mentioned already has found another gig, and that other gig was on the set of Scrubs. <laughs> Even though, when the opening credits said the cast of Scrubs was like, how are they going to tie this in? I was like, oh, okay, well, there you go. Just like that. Uh, as a patient who adamantly refuses to die to the chagrin of the actual cast of Scrubs. <laughs> no, you're dead! Cut. What do you think you're doing? It's called acting, sweetie. You're an extra. You're supposed to be a dead body. Zach Braff, Sarah Chalk, John C. McGinley, Judy Reyes, Neil Flynn, and Scrubs producer Bill Lawrence are all here in this scene. No one feels out of place in this moment. Nope. <laughs> Just annoyed that Piggy won't stop trying to return from the dead. Listen, Piggy, you're no Superman. Yep. <laughs> 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 Technically, not even the last time Muppets and Scrubs uh, crossed over. The Sesame Street Muppets have made a few cameos. In That's stuff. right. Right. They had that whole episode. That wouldn't come until 2009. Oh, is that right? Yeah. I yep. <laughs> uh, but here, Scrubs is only in its second season. Oh, wow. So hot new show at the time. Probably a great cross promotion there. Yeah. That was an NBC show. Yeah. Yeah, rewatching this, uh, you know, decades later, I was surprised. Oh, I thought I remembered there being like uh, the cast of Friends cameo, but given that this is 2002, they probably didn't need any extra publicity for that show. <laughs> no, they're good. Uh, but here's where Kermit shows up on the set of Scrubs to ask Piggy, please consider coming back. But she claims Scrubs needs me until <laughs> Bill Lawrence fires her. And there's this wonderfully awkward scene of Piggy yelling at everyone about how they wouldn't know real talent if it hit him in the eye while Kermit tries to pull the stretcher <laughs> away. <laughs> but it won't budge 
until the rest of the cast gives him a push. And this has been Scrubs the Cameo. <laughs> uh, yeah, the one-two punch of that and triumph the insult comic dog. Mwah, chef's kiss. <laughs> right. Very 2002. Yeah. So now we're back in Rachel's office, and Pepe overhears her talking to another man, a very handsome executive, as he's credited. <laughs> if the others are as stupid as that backstabbing shrimp, they'll never notice that I've changed the contract from midnight to 6 p.m. <laughs> right. Change the contract. I don't get it. This guy is played by Dan Payne, who's apparently best known from a Canadian sitcom called Alice, I think. But I recognized him as a dad from his more recent appearances in Disney's Descendants series. He's the beast. Well, yeah. the, the human turned back into a human king beast. Uh, but he's still got some beast in him. So his name's Adam. His name is Adam, but I don't think they ever use that name. He's he. Beast I think, uh, yeah. Well, <laughs> I think they actually call him King Beast at one point. It's a little. I don't know what it is with Disney, just like right. not refusing. I talked about it a few episodes ago on the Enchanted Christmas, but <laughs> so Pepe's hiding under Rachel's chair and overhears her telling her handsome but ditzy executive that she changed their contract. You know, the one where there's only one copy which she now happens to have. So their full payment is not due by midnight, but by six o'clock that night. And Pepe finally comes to his senses and says, I must warn Kermin. <laughs> yeah. They have a l nice little uh, banter there of how, you know, the, uh, the executives chuckles every time she makes an innuendo. Yeah. Yeah. Her say, not everything is an innuendo. Right. Speaking of PG. <laughs> Well, back at the theater, there's a long line of people waiting to buy tickets to the Muppets' spectacular, spectacular Christmas extravaganza, as the marquee reads. And Bunsen and Beaker arrive with a big bag of money that's apparently enough from the ticket sales to save the theater. This whole time, at this point, I'm like, I can't tell if this is like, I, I was supposed to be like some sort of like dream sequence, honestly. Like, Kermit's going <laughs> to wake up, he's like, oh, oh, we did it. And then he'd be like, I don't know. It just seemed like so... It happened so fast. Like, yeah. oh, we did it. I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> there you go. I guess well, they did it. If you rewatch It's a Wonderful Life, that's kind of how it goes, too. Like, they get all the money together, they give it to Uncle Billy, and Uncle Billy loses it. Yeah, I guess you're right. <laughs> that part here actually gets dragged out a lot. Uh, for now, everyone's getting ready for the show. When Pepe shows up to tell Kermit about Rachel changing the time, but before he can get to the point, he gets carried away by a bunch of rats dressed as reindeer. Including Rizzo, who still has that red nose from when he bumped it earlier during the Matthew Lillard fiasco. So now he's Rizzo the red-nosed rat deer. <laughs> so Kermit goes out to start the show, and it's a packed house. Yeah. We get a joke of Kermit telling everyone to please turn off all cell phones and pagers, which takes some time because it's 2002 and it's a lot noisier. And we open the big Muppet Christmas production of Mulan Scrooge. Yes. This is amazing. There was a frog, a very strange enchanted frog. And he came to France where the ladies can can dance to the Mulan Scrooge where our story starts for you. There is an extended version of this Get on the, out. the in the DVD. Oh my goodness. I need that now. 
Yes, which even gives uh, Sam the Eagle a part as Baron Von Scrooge. Oh, they took that out? <laughs> I know, I couldn't believe it either. Oh, man. Because this is easily a highlight here. De- play nice Disney and Henson and get this onto a platform of some sort. I don't care if it's Disney Plus or Peacock. People need <laughs> this with the extended cut. I mean, you brought one love is gone back. You can do it to this. <laughs> yes. <laughs> brother. If anything, this whole production right here is like is proof of concept for like I, I've seen it pop up on Twitter and read it before where people say like what movies should be remade with Muppets. <laughs> and I mean, really, most of the time it's the answer is just about anything. Yeah. So like, yes. I, this would be like, I, I could see so many musicals if you just put Muppets in them and said, I, I sit through Dear Evan Hansen. And oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I want Chicago. Hmm. Oh, yes. Nice. Yeah. But, but no, start here with Moulin Rouge. Keep it Moulin Scrooge. Starring, of course, Chickens and Penguins singing a close-enough-to-be-legal parody of Lady Marmalade. (laughs) With, I heard, a hint of Smells Like Teen Spirit in there. Yep. Another parallel from the 2011 Muppet movie. And also from Moulin Rouge. Right. Oh, that's true. I I forgot that's in that. Yes, uh, this Moulin Rouge parody is spot-on for Oz Lerman movie, and it's kind of hilarious in hindsight that the number is interrupted by the Elvis elves from Muppet Classic. <laughs> yes. Since Boz Lerman made the Elvis biopic just this past year. <laughs> oh, that's right. Wow. Didn't even think of that. You know, the Muppets are predicting the future. Yeah. <laughs> Move, Move over, over Simpsons. Simpsons. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but yeah, perfectly mimics the frantic style and anachronistic music of Moulin Rouge while also mixing in the Christmas theme. It's one of the better parodies of this era. Really, really is. Including Miss Piggy as Saltine. That was great. Because you have to name her after a food stuff. Well, yeah. yeah. Uh, (laughs) Who, after a coughing fit while being lowered through a fog machine, sings a big band version of Santa Baby. Come and trim my Christmas tree with some decorations for the TVs. I really do What? Which keeps getting interrupted by Pepe and then a group of Elvises that we mentioned, not elves, singing Jingle Bells and those chickens and penguins, and it all delves into glorious chaos for a bit in the middle here. I love everything about this except for the fact that it's rushed to fit into this one scene in the much bigger movie. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I so wish we could have seen the production they were putting on, like a Muppet variety show with a Christmas theme. That would have been great. Yeah. Like they could have made this an episode of Muppets Tonight or even the 2015 one. It would have worked. Yeah. Honestly, I, I I do overall like this special, but there are some parts that drag a little bit. And mm. as much as I think David Arquette like knows what he's doing with that sort of character and he, he himself is fine. If they had cut the whole angel thing, like I know it's the, it's a wonderful life part, but if they got rid of that and just kind of focused more on this, you're just saving the theater, like, and did more of the, more of this, I would have been fine. Absolutely, they could have shortened that angel thing. Uh, and still kept his character and everything, but we didn't need the whole corporate office scene, whatever, but... Right. 
God watching TV for like 45 minutes. Yeah, sure. If you get Whoopi Goldberg, you get Whoopi Goldberg. Fine. I'm glad she's here. Yeah, I just want to add what brought up Whoopi Goldberg walk, watching TV. They do cut back and forth. Uh, yes. Here, the boss and Danny's reaction to, hey, what's going on here? You know, and get the interstitial little bits like you mentioned, the ch- shrub that pours coffee. Yes, that's right. That comes in later. And we get a gag that he, I found especially interesting during those cutaways where the boss says, "I'd re- you're lucky SpongeBob isn't on right now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, which is not an NBC property, oddly enough. I think it's in there because, you know, oh, isn't it funny that the all-powerful boss wants to watch a children's cartoon? Yeah. And, you know, SpongeBob would have been, you know, relatively recent at, at the time, starting in 1999. but. I'm just amused that watching this 20 years later, it's the most currently relevant pop culture reference that they have. <laughs> oh, my goodness. You're right. <laughs> NBC Movie of the Week will return following these messages. The city. How romantic. Trip to the city of your choice. Great. Free. Shopping. Free. Just a few more blocks. Entertainment. Free. No cats in this one, right? I don't think so. Time with people who make you feel warm and fuzzy. Priceless. Let's go. Drive fast. Use your MasterCard and you could win a getaway with people you're closest to in our priceless memory sweepstakes. So Mulan Scrooge, of course, gets a standing ovation and everyone heads backstage where Pepe finally catches up with Kermit and tells them they now only have until six to get the money to Bitterman. And he's got the updated contract to prove it. So now Fozzie offers to miss his stand up spot to go deliver the money to the bank and almost leaves without it while Pepe fills in for Fozzie. What are Santa's? Three favorite gardening tools, okay? Ho, ho, and ho, okay? To silence. Until, of course, you don't fill in for Fozzie Bear without facing the wrath of Statler and Waldorf. <laughs> yes. Uh-huh. Hey, the shrimp's floundering. <laughs> Meanwhile, we cut to Fozzie on his way to the bank carrying the money in a giant bag with a dollar sign on it. Super safe thing to do in New York at night on Christmas Eve. Right. When he runs into a parody of the Crocodile Hunter. Crikey, you're a bear. I'm going to have to tranquilize him because bears get a tad cranky when they get a bit stressed. Ah, yes. R.I.P. Steve Irwin. Yeah, this didn't quite land for me. (laughs) This was a weird one. Yeah, they, they didn't get Steve Irwin. He was still alive at the time. Yeah, I have some trivia about this, actually. Oh. According to IMDb, now I haven't been able to collaborate this anywhere else, so it may be apocryphal, but apparently this part was, you know, obviously written with Steve Irwin in mind, and according to IMDb, Irwin was on board with filming a cameo as himself, but he had to bow out when he ran into scheduling conflicts filming the movie Crocodile Hunter Collision Course. Oh, no. Now, for those of you who are unfamiliar, The Crocodile Hunter was a documentary series of Steve Irwin's real life with dangerous animals, 
while the Crocodile Hunter Collision Course was a scripted film that has Steve and Terry Irwin doing their real-life conservationist bits in between a Hollywood plot about spies chasing down a crocodile that swallowed a piece of a fallen satellite. <laughs> this was a thing. Oh, it sure was. <laughs> a thing of beauty. <laughs> but yeah, the uh, the faux crocodile hunter impersonation uh, doesn't quite land as funny now uh, that Steve Irwin has passed. But yeah, exactly. I suppose it helps that, you know, Steve Irwin, he was a gift to bad impersonators. He, oh, he sure was. <laughs> At this time, all you had to do was say, crikey, and people knew who you were spoofing, regardless of your lack of talent. Yeah, yeah. and you're basically there. Uh, <laughs> yeah. He, he was the greatest uh, conservationist that people impersonated since Jacques Cousteau's French accent. <laughs> yeah, you're right. See, this is why no one impersonates Jane Goodall. She doesn't have a funny accent. Right, no. <laughs> well, she probably dutched at the gorillas. <laughs> so this bad Steve Irwin impersonator is Cameron McDonald, a character actor who was recently in the CW show Batwoman as Gotham City Police Commissioner Forbes. And he was on Riverdale as the high school janitor. Oh. Here he's credited as Safari Animal Tracker. That sounds like a Spirit of Halloween costume. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. Uh, who's slow to realize, Crikey, you're a bear. And he's got a cameraman with him as he threatens to tranquilize Fozzie. So this initiates a very silly chase scene that finds Fozzie cornered. But thankfully, Snow Joe, the Mel Brooks snowman narrator, is here to get in the way <laughs> and inadvertently take a tranquilizer dart for Fozzie. Thanks, Joe. It's those moments, like, like right there and the chase that it's like, you know what? I'm not sad they didn't cut this. Right. <laughs> yeah. Well, Fozzie runs behind a building we can't see, but there is a sign that tells us it's Jim's evergreen tree painting. So Fozzie comes out the other side of it with his fur painted green, which offers him great camouflage to get rid of the fake croc hunter. But now he looks like, quote, that green guy who stole Christmas. <laughs> I did not see this coming. Uh, and I thought first, I couldn't understand why when Fozzie was spray painted green, his eyes were suddenly yellow. But as I was watching this again, he does scream, ah, my eyes. Oh, yeah. they were concerned about continuity here. That's right. Yeah. But here, because he looks like that green guy who stole Christmas, he gets chased even further by an angry mob of who lookalikes who look like they're from the Ron Howard Grinch movie. Yes, this is our second Ron Howard reference, this movie, yeah. after a beautiful line. Right. Yeah. Uh, but they are not called Who's Here, they're called Nutwats from Whatville. <laughs> I fancy Nutwat from Whatville, you see. And you've made me and Uncle Icky quite angry. You know, I'm surprised. I'm surprised they had that, because, like, the Grinch movie came out two years before. You would think they would still have rights to that, especially with the costuming. Right. And obviously the yeah. most NBC thing they could have done at the time. And yeah. Yeah. He's that green guy. And it was just odd. Maybe they were just in their bets. Maybe. <laughs> they wanted to be able to re-air it. Yeah. It's funnier when you don't say the name. Yeah. Uh, 
But the Cindy Lou Who stand-in, credited as Nancy Nutwut, is Chantal Strand, who's also the voice of Barbie's little sister Kelly in a bunch of movies. Oh. And she was in several of the Air Bud sequels as well. <laughs> so the Nutwuts chase Fozzie, who hides in a place called Stan's Steam Bath, which conveniently washes off the green paint and now all that chasing has left Fozzie with very little time to get to the bank. Yeah, a brief bit about the Nutwats here. They Ooh. speak in rhyme. Yep. Except for the one time they don't. <laughs> the one guy says he can't think of a rhyme. And I love how they stole that joke for the Mike Myers Cat in the Hat movie that came out the next year. Oh, did they? I have done a good job avoiding it so far. Good for you. <laughs> That's what I've heard. I have to say it's impressive that all these businesses are still open on Christmas Eve this late. Well, daylight saving time, so it's probably just, yeah, it could still be like five o'clock. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, well, the front desk guard of the bank calls to let Rachel know that Fozzie's coming up, and so she turns on her security measure. And today's featured TV trope, the laser hallway. <laughs> this is a good bit. I like this. Yeah, that comes in your evil villain starter kit, I believe. It sure does. Uh, and these lasers are apparently the burning kind because Fozzie realizes how little time he has and he just runs through it and all we hear is ooh, ah, ee, and like uh, sizzling sounds. He takes one for the team. That's for yeah. Me. He takes two for the team, three for the well, team. Three, actually, really. because <laughs> Fozzie makes it through without the bag of money, so he has to go back through to get it, and then back through one more time, and he finally enters Rachel's office with all of his fur singed, drops off the bag, which turns out is the wrong bag. Yeah, because during the chase scene, yes. Fozzie bumped into a Salvation Army Santa and they switched bags. Right. And and this is a curious bit yeah. where I'll mention a deleted scene again. Okay. Earlier in the movie, there had been a scene where Kermit was, uh, well, in a deleted scene, Kermit was organizing the uh, Christmas show. Okay. And they had hired a guy to play Santa in their show, but he leaves saying that he's the real Santa and needs to go deliver presents. And oh. like, what? No, you can't go. And then he just leaves. So then Bobo Bear walks in and they say, Bobo, can you read these lines? You know, so they hand him a script. He butchers the lines completely and they say, yeah, you got the part. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> which is going to explain a scene later on where Bobo is dressed as Santa. Right. So the Santa that they hired that says he's the real Santa is the same actor as this uh, Salvation Army Santa who we have never seen before in the film proper. So oh, wow. So I'm wondering, was there anything else that del was deleted? Because usually if you have a guy introduced in the first act saying he's the real Santa, well, you show that he's the real Santa by the third. Right. Yeah, check off Santa. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but he never does anything real Santa-like. No. He's going to show up again later, but it's as yeah. this Salvation Army Santa. So I wondered if they might have changed the script on the spot, but they had to incorporate the same actor since they already hired him? 
Perhaps, yeah. The only thing this Santa does is pick up the wrong bag and leave Fozzie with these Salvation Army donations. Yeah, although he does, he is very polite. He tries to give him his coat. <laughs> yeah, I think he says, are you okay? Or can you, here, take my coat, something like that. So, right. So yeah, that's very confusing. And I wonder if there might have been more on the cutting room floor. Perhaps. But for now, we're left with Fozzie just realizing he grabbed the wrong bag and too late because Rachel shows Fozzie her desk clock, which blinks from 5.59 to 6 o'clock. But back at the Muppet Theater, the rap party's just getting started with Animal chugging eggnog from a beer bong. (laughs) Here it's now 8 o'clock and Fozzie hasn't come back yet, so Kermit goes out to look for him. Yeah, animal chugging from a beer bong. They won't let you do that on Disney+. Plus. Nope. No. (laughs) And Kermit finds Fozzie sitting sadly outside the bank, and that catches us up mostly to where we started. We even come back from a commercial with the frog with his tongue stuck to the pole getting triple frog dared to put his tongue on the pole. And Fozzie's explaining what happened to Kermit as they walk back to the theater, and Kermit thinks Fozzie's just making it all up. Well, sure, to us it would sound ridiculous, but to the Muppets, this shouldn't sound too unusual. Right, exactly. <laughs> I mean, this is Tuesday for them. Yeah, really. Right. But with nothing left to do, Kermit walks into Rachel's office himself and asks her why she can't realize what this theater means to them. It's their dream. And we get a very silly, evil Joan Cusack monologue here, the best kind. Please. I mean, you can't eat a dream. You can't sell watered-down drinks from a dream. You can't be the queen of a Polynesian tribe in a dream. Oh wait, yes you can, forget that last one. But she ends by telling Kermit the very antithesis to everything Kermit stands for. Dreams ruin lives. And in your case, they ruin the lives of your friends too. So Kermit walks away speechless as Rachel mockingly tells him, don't let it spoil your holiday. It's the most wonderful time of the year and sarcastically sings. It is the season to be jolly. la 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 la. But here's where, oh yeah, we're watching this with Whoopi Goldberg, creator of the universe. <laughs> and now she's on board. Someone's got to do something. So she tells her angel Daniel from accounting, let me think about it. And we're back to Kermit walking through the park just to make him feel the absolute worst about everything. He walks past a statue of himself holding hands with two children with a placard that reads, thank you, Kermit, from the children of the world for the lovers, the dreamers and you. As a former child of the world, I don't remember giving this gift to Kermit, but I'm happy someone (laughs) took care of the financials to make this happen. I was actually curious if this was actually like a real thing somewhere. I wonder. I wonder if they kept it and it's still at the the Henson Company headquarters, the old Charlie Chaplin building. Yeah. I'd love to know who makes all of these, you know, stone statues and oil paintings of all these famous people for movies like yeah they've got to make it look like it took a lot more work than it actually did (laughs) right (laughs) but kermit's starting to believe what bitterman told him about how dreams ruin lives so now that's the straw that breaks the camel's back for almighty creator whoopee 
And as promised, she prepares to send someone down to help Kermit. And that someone, of course, is Daniel. Can we say how Kermit is like indirectly kind of committing suicide here, being he's an amphibian out in the freezing snow? Oh, dear. <laughs> I mean, he kind of, I mean, you know, it's it's obviously dark, but it's kind of, and even that, you know, when Daniel finally gets down there, it's kind of implied that where he's like, he might not have made it. Right. Yeah. He's past caring about himself now. He's just yeah. he's super depressed that he let all of his friends down. Yeah, that didn't occur to me because years of watching cartoons have taught me that uh, even if if uh, cartoon animals don't wear clothes, all they need is just a scarf around the neck. And they're yeah. But he yeah. was naked. Yeah, <laughs> he had like a pea coat earlier and yeah. I don't know what happened to it. Yeah, but. But yeah, this is the part where we shift gears into the uh, most recognizable part of It's a Wonderful Life. Yes. So with a snap of her fingers, Daniel is all dressed and ready to go to Earth in an Easter parade outfit with a bow tie and a straw hat. <laughs> Ice cream salesman from Hello Dolly. <laughs> yes. Oh, man. Yes. I do like how they've kept the joke from It's a Wonderful Life that the angel is in clothes that are decades out of style. Yes, right. Exactly. Yep. Yeah. Although I, I do have to admit, the barbershop quartet look is a vast improvement over the short-sleeved sweater vest he was wearing up till now. Sure is. Yeah. And along with the new outfit, Daniel is given a very thick book with gold leaf pages called The Regulatory Guide to the Design and Implementation of Divine Intervention on Earth which intimidates him, so instead, the boss gives him performing miracles for dummies. <laughs> good bit, good bit. Still not convinced, uh, the boss calmly tells Daniel he's the right guy for the job, he's got a real understanding of right and wrong, and an innate sense of justice, and I'd like to point out, he's the one who marched into her office to bring this to her attention, and that counts for quite a lot. So with another snap of her fingers, the boss sends Daniel on his way to Midgard, I think, and lands with such force onto the other side of the bench Kermit's on it launches Kermit into a nearby trash bin so here's the point in the movie that I think it takes it like the whole thing quality wise goes a full notch like this is when I started getting seriously when Kermit hit that pole that was my first like super loud audible like guffaw and then (laughs) it was like at that point on I was like okay this is this is great I love everything that's happening right now I've said it before and I'll say it again. I love it when Muppets get tossed around. (laughs) And in a panic, Daniel pulls out what seems like a lifeless Kermit out of the trash. But it just turns out he's frozen. He needs to warm up. He's even a little discolored. They like got a whole different model of Kermit to make him look like he's legit frozen. Yeah. And Daniel happens to have a battery operated hair dryer on him. (laughs) As you do. It's just part of the miracle, folks. Uh, Daniel explains he's here to save Kermit, who tells him, don't bother. He's got other things on his mind. Goodbye. But Daniel explains he knows about Bitterman changing the contract. That, of course, makes Kermit pause and ask, how do you know that? Oh, wait a second. You don't run one of those Muppet Internet fan sites, do you? (laughs) (laughs) Good stuff. And I wonder, the Muppet Internet fan site I've been reading since before this movie came out is Tough Pigs, and its founder is named Danny. I'm not saying the character's named after him, but I thought about it for a second. Hmm. Uh, But our angel Daniel's first idea is to contact the press. But Kermit shuts down that idea, saying Bitterman owns the press. How, Daniel asks. Corporate synergy. It's out of control. 
Kermit replies, revealing an NBC peacock on the bottom of his foot. Hilarious. <laughs> Absolutely hilarious. I was dying. Oh, it's so funny. The prize surprise that scene is cut from the freeform broadcast. <laughs> yep. <laughs> the shame. It's a shame. Corporate synergy. Can't have an NBC logo on there. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Uh, so Kermit finally has had enough of listening to this guy try to help him and his friends. Tells him his friends would be better off without him. And we finally hear those magic words we've been waiting for. I wish I'd never been born. In fact, he says it a total of nine times, if I counted right. You did not just say that. You did not just say that. I did just say it. I said, I wish I'd never been born. What am I supposed to do now? I wish I'd never been born. There, I said it again. I wish I'd never been B-O-R-N born. I wish I'd never been born. I was curious if he counted because Matt, he just kept on going with it. <laughs> so Daniel, following the instructions of his dummies guide, grants Kermit's wish by tossing a dead leaf over his shoulder and throwing a handful of snow in Kermit's face. And suddenly we're in the decidedly foggier world, which, wait, never mind, they're in Dagobah. Not ready is he. There is no try, only do. <laughs> Wrong world. It was, so, it was so good. I was like, what the hell is happening right yeah, now? Which, after our legally distinct uh, green guy cameo, we get another green guy cameo <laughs> whose name goes unmentioned. Yes. Doing his cameo George Steinbrenner from Seinfeld style. Yes. We only see the back <laughs> of not Yoda's head. Come back from the... Talk about corporate synergy now. They accidentally foreshadowed it. Yeah. <laughs> A second clump of snow to the face gets them to the right reality, or I guess the wrong reality, because <laughs> where the park once was is now the inside of a shopping mall. Oh, no. In place of Kermit's statue is a much creepier statue of Rachel Bitterman standing on a globe and raising the back of her hand. Kermit's had enough. He gets up to go home, pack his things, and say goodbye to his friends. But Daniel explains, you don't have a home or things or friends because you were never born. Which, if it's been a while since you've seen It's a Wonderful Life, yes, it does take to this late in the movie to get to that part. It's a long movie. Yep. But in the mall, Kermit recognizes Gonzo, who's parked on a bench begging for donations. Kermit asks why he isn't at the party, which, of course, confuses this Gonzo and scares away his only quote-unquote customer. Sir, if you could just spare a second here. Um, I'm, I'm Gonzo, and this is Amy the Dancing Brick. We're the Dancing Brick. Again, I <laughs> Amy was Amy the Dancing Brick. Oh, I want an Amy the Dancing Brick. So funny. So funny. I'm telling you, at this point, the movie just, just takes it to a new level. Oh, so good. Yeah, much like Mulan Scrooge, I want to see an entire bit devoted to Amy the Dancing Brick. <laughs> and Gonzo, and Gonzo. Yes. Please, 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 please. Yes, Gonzo hasn't had a whole lot to do this special. No. no. Uh, and if you think that's bad, our next cameo features Rizzo on Fear Factor. <laughs> this was terrifyingly funny. <laughs> Again, the corporate synergy here. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Not as a contestant, but as a rat stuck in a cage with a contestant who screams at the sight of him, but is also supposed to eat Rizzo. God. But yes, that also means Joe Rogan is in a Muppet Christmas movie. Yep. Yep. And uh, Daniel goes on to explain that without the Muppets, reality TV has taken over. Ah. 
Yeah, prophetic. Before we go through the fates of the other Muppets, do y'all have a favorite alternate timeline Muppet? Like, who's your favorite Biff timeline Muppet? <laughs> Happy Back to the uh, Future Day again. <laughs> it's got to be Beaker. Yep. Holy crap. I was dying. <laughs> I mean, absolutely. Like, I could, I was holding my side. It was just, my, my kids are walking through, through the room and just kind of saw that, the, the, the <laughs> nightclub part. And they also were just howling. It was just yeah. came out of nowhere. <laughs> oh, yeah, me, me, Beep. God, this is so good. Uh, wait a second. you're all swollen. Yeah, agreed. He is the complete 180 of everything yes. we know about him. <laughs> uh, but before that, we see the electric mayhem are still intact, but as O Mayhem's Celtic dance troupe at an Irish pub. Because rip dance was a thing. Yes. Led by Howard Tubman in a green hat and suspenders. In one shot, we see the Mayhem's legs step dancing. I keep forgetting Animal's got some skinny legs. Yes. <laughs> his knees don't bend in this shot and his shoes are kind of flopping everywhere. It's it's a fun little bit of chaos, which, which suits Animal. <laughs> but here's where we get some hard evidence that Kermit was, in fact, never born because the Irish step dancing electric mayhem are playing at Doc Hopper's Frog Legs. Brilliant. Yes. God, it was so good. <laughs> Yeah, there's a surprising amount of Muppet movie references towards the yeah. third. Yeah. If Kermit's face could turn white, it would look a lot like he does here. Yeah. Uh, and now he panics and runs out of there in the direction of the theater, which, of course, there is no theater. There's only Club Dot. And out in front of the club... I forget it's him every time I watch this, but it's Bunsen Honeydew in sunglasses and a goatee. <laughs> Please tell me this is still the Muppet Theater. Muppet Theater? Can't you read, Lizard? This is done. For some reason, this is hilarious to me. Uh, and inside, it's a rave, and Sam the Eagle is on the dance floor, glow sticks in hand. Scooters in a, in a tangent cage. Scooters dancing in a cage. Ugh. Yeah, that's my second <laughs> favorite. So disturbing. Honestly, that didn't shock me because I will own up to dancing in a rave cage on my 18th birthday. Yes. In Scranton, <laughs> is, Pennsylvania. Tell me there's a picture of this somewhere. I wish. Uh. I don't have one. And throughout this special, we have seen Scooter wearing a lampshade all the time. <laughs> yeah. That's a joke you don't see. Yeah. Yeah, right. Yeah, no, Scooter's gone full hot topic here. <laughs> My 12-year-old daughter just uh, has just been into hot topic for the first time in her life. So that was a fun little milestone. Oh man, the hot topic at our local mall doesn't have anything except My Little Pony Funko Pops. So Oh, really? <laughs> This one still looks like it's out of the 90s, but... Oh, well... I've, yeah, I've, too. Yeah, I've reached my kid wants to shop at Hot Topic levels of old, and I'm honestly delighted. I've been there for a while. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe I caught them on an off day, so... I guess so. I mean, My Little Pony fits, like, especially the new generation of them. Yeah. We talked about those. Johnny's at the bar getting Rachel her drinks for free. Hey, boo! Boo! And rats out Statler and Waldorf, who stopped buying drinks for a couple of girls at the bar, so Rachel knocks the barstools out from under them. 
Finally, someone's got the best of old Statler and Waldorf, and it's Joan Cusack. I know. Go figure. But nothing shocks Kermit more than seeing his own nephew Robin serving drinks, bussing tables, and getting shoved by Rachel. But when Kermit goes to yell at her for ruining the Muppets, this is when she summons the bouncer to throw Kermit out, and it's adult, human-sized beaker in a muscle (laughs) shirt. Huge. (laughs) Me, 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 me. Me, 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 me. (laughs) Giant muscle man beaker is my favorite bit of this special. 100%. Yeah. Uh, so good. I like that his arms are still fuzzy like Muppet skin and that same shade of pasty white guy. <laughs> and for good measure, Beaker throws out Daniel, too. Outside next to the dumpster, where they run into Fozzie, who helps Kermit up off the ground because it's Christmas Eve and it looks like Kermit could use a hand. And no matter the universe, Fozzie is the best character in this special. Or... Is he? And then he runs away, and Kermit realizes too late. Fozzie stole his wallet again. I was just first of all, he was acting so tweaked out. I was like, "What is he doing?" Oh no! <laughs> Stealing his wallet when he doesn't have pockets. Oh my gosh! It's just the writing. Just I, I, I don't yeah. know. That's what the first part was was bad made sense, but like it was just hitting it again, like over and over and over again, just hundred percent. Yeah, I think it's because that now we're in the darkest timeline. They can <laughs> have some fun in games exactly. and play, yeah, so. play on expectations with characters we're already familiar with. This is absolutely the strongest bit of it, man. Yeah, in this universe, Fozzie has developed into such a good pickpocket, he can pick your pocket when you don't even have pockets. <laughs> and Kermit still can't understand how things could get so different without him. And Daniel tells him, I guess you make a difference in a lot of people's lives. Well, that leaves just one more stop in our tour of the world without Kermit. We go to where Piggy's living, which Kermit describes as a sty in some shady part of the city. So it must be bad compared to wherever she was living in real life. Daniel hands Kermit a heart-shaped box of chocolates, and my first thought is, hey, that's the wrong holiday. (laughs) Is that box a little early or very late? I was curious why he needed the chocolate, so. Yeah. Well, Kermit goes up and knocks on Piggy's door, she takes a minute to unlock some of her many, many padlocks to peek through the doorway. And we see that familiar twinkle in her eye that we always see whenever Kermit and Miss Piggy meet for the first time. She tells Kermit to wait a moment, shuts the door, and we hear her frantically trying to clean up the place. There's a toilet flush, the sound of multiple cats, because as we find out when she finally opens the door, if Kermit's never born, Miss Piggy becomes a single lonely cat lady. Complete in an actually cute t-shirt that says Felines Navidad. (laughs) Somebody make that shirt. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. It's got to be out there somewhere. Sure. Anyway, Piggy calls Kermit Corwin. Corwin? It's been so long since we met that, uh... Oh, uh, you brought candy! Let's see what's in here. And we're in Piggy's decidedly comfy apartment. Which, if it were anyone else, including Kermit himself, would be fine. But he knows this is the last place Miss Piggy, as he knows her, would choose to live. Yeah. And here, my friends is where we must address the most paused scene in this entire movie. Oh boy, I know what you mean. 
which was released in 2002, which means production started over a year earlier. (laughs) Outside Piggy's window is a crystal clear and unmistakable view of the twin towers of the World Trade Center. Yep. This is somehow more uncomfortable than the bad Steve Irwin impression. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Uh, And of course, it has led to countless jokes on the Internet every Christmas for the last 20 years that Kermit did 9-11. Yep. Nice job, Internet. You're batting a thousand. (laughs) Uh, I mean, it is still weird watching old movies and being like, oh, yeah, those existed. Uh, This time of year, Santa Claus, the movie is a big one that shows them he flies right over them in that. But oh, yeah. if you didn't like seeing the Twin Towers after they no longer exist, guess what? It's about to get way worse because Piggy puts on a wig of dreadlocks and answers the phone with a Miss Cleo accent. Yeah. Phone acting. <laughs> so, kids, Miss Cleo had a psychic phone hotline where you'd pay her to tell your fortune. I can't decide which part is worse, the accent or the wig. Probably the wig because she's answering the phone yeah. in 2002 when FaceTime doesn't exist. And judging from her apartment, she probably doesn't have fast enough internet to video chat. So, yeah, wig's worse. Uh, so Kermit invites Piggy out to Christmas dinner, but she says she can't leave her babies, meaning her cats, and adds, besides, I look terrible. And Kermit, who honestly in the history of their relationship has never been a great boyfriend... No, but here he tells Piggy she's got more beauty and talent than any supermodel or movie star he knows. And then she kicks him out. Yeah, Piggy laughs off her past (laughs) ambitions of becoming a star of silly dreams. She tells Kermit he should leave. And when he doesn't right away, out comes defensive Piggy we know and love saying, I'm not pathetic. I still have my phone acting. My kitties and I just want you to leave now. And out the door, Kermit flies with a patented Miss Piggy karate chop. Piggy! She's still got it, no matter the timeline. Mm-hmm. Yes. The best part is when she throws the chocolates at Kermit and says, take these with you, and then <laughs> comes back out and takes them back on. Second thought, I'll take these. <laughs> well, after Kermit gets kicked out of Piggy's apartment, he realizes Daniel's nowhere to be found. So he runs back to the mall, shouting to Daniel that he wants his life back. But the only person left in the mall now is Gonzo, who's got a guitar out to sing us a song called Everyone Matters. I feel so small and useless, ambiguous and clueless. I just can't seem to get anything right. I feel so invisible tonight. Yeah, we're only an hour and 13 minutes in. Why not have an original song? Yeah, there it is. <laughs> Finally. To me, this is the second highlight of the thing, because anytime uh, Dave Golan is singing as Gonzo, I'm all in. Oh, yes. I just, I just, and yeah, the lyrics were eh, okay, yeah. but it's just, it was, I liked it. I really liked it a lot. So Yeah, it's really sweet. Yeah. <laughs> and this song actually got nominated for an Emmy in 2003. Get out of here. I it know did. that. Uh, lost, uh, what was it, like, best original song from a TV special. Mm-hmm. Lost to Celine Dion singing Aren't They All Our Children at the Concert for World Children's Day. Jeez Louise. <laughs> but if you like sad songs mixed into your Christmas playlist, this is a good one to add. Mm-hmm. Gonzo singing about having the most miserable Christmas, and Kermit interrupts him, telling him not to give up hope. 
adding if he had his life back with all his friends, he'd have the most wonderful Christmas. Even Whoopi tears up at this one. (laughs) But Gonzo gets up to go, and Daniel comes back to apologize to Kermit, saying he's sorry he wasn't much help at all. And Kermit finally tells him, look, the theater's just a building. He just wants his life back so he can be with his friends again. The Muppet Theater's not a place, it's a people. (laughs) Hey, references for when they acquire them. That's right. Asgard's not a place, it's a people. That's it. But Daniel doesn't know how to get them back to their original timeline, so what does Kermit do? He flails his arms and shouts, I'd wish I'd never said I'd wish I'd never been born. How could I have said that? And while he's screaming at himself, the phone rings nearby. It's coming from a toy phone next to the Christmas tree display at the mall. So Daniel answers it. I guess it's his boss on the other end. All we can hear is faint muttering. But he hangs up and tells Kermit he can send him back. But it's a little strange. But at this point, Kermit doesn't care. So Daniel winds up and spits in Kermit's face. (laughs) So weird. So weird. You know how angels are always spitting in people's faces to perform miracles. And we're back in the park again, and Kermit's got spit in his eye, but he doesn't care. Daniel did it! Yay! And before he runs off to be with his friends, Kermit asks if he can do anything for Daniel, who takes out a customer survey. (laughs) And then forgets to actually give it to Kermit after the two go in for one last hug. Says, I'll mail it to you. Yeah, because this is before the days when they would give you a survey follow-up on your phone app. Right. Right. So Kermit gets to do the old George Bailey sprint through the snow back to the Muppet Theater, which is still there. And everyone's still hanging out inside as Kermit shouts, Merry Christmas, everyone. I'm back. And he leaps onto the stage. <laughs> that's a good that's a good thing. Well, I also mentioned that everyone thinks he's like, or who was it saying? Oh, I think it was Johnny who's telling yeah. he's, he's drunk. Just all he's like, right. oh, he's drunk. Oh, he's drunk. Yeah, he's drunk. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, leaps on stage like we rarely see Kermit get to actually hop, but he tells the gang he's got a new appreciation for everything from Gonzo's nose to Piggy's beauty. Those are interesting bookends, but fine. Yeah. (laughs) But of course, Piggy's still mad at him for yelling like she should be. But Kermit spins her around and gives her the biggest kiss I've ever seen Kermit give to Piggy. Yeah, that's got to be number one. Longest, most passionate Kermit to Piggy kiss in the history of Muppets. Including after they get married (laughs) in the Muppets Take Manhattan. Bigger than that. And that one was pretty big. But uh, Piggy stands up. Her hair's all disheveled. And she's so happy she falls off the stage. So good. Uh, So good. (laughs) Which leaves Fozzie, who's still quite upset from losing the money, and says he feels so useless. But Kermit tells them, Their friendship is a lot more important than any old theater. And Fozzie's the one who finally asks, but why are you so happy? And Kermit replies, because tonight I realize that it's not that horrible that we lost the theater. What really matters is, and in walks Rachel Bitterman to finish the Kermit sentence with money. Actually, I like that uh, Gonzo has a gag uh, here where uh, Kermit says something like, it doesn't matter that we lost everything. And Gonzo says, oh, that's good because we did. <laughs> oh, God. That was so good. So good. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. So good. Uh, 
Well, Rachel, yeah, speaking of Gonzo, Rachel tells everyone to pack up and get out, but Gonzo stands his ground first and says the theater's not hers yet, and Piggy threatens to throw her out herself. And poor Rachel Bitterman makes the grave mistake of calling her Miss Porky, which Piggy answers with a headbutt. That doesn't phase Rachel, who punches her back in the arm, and here we go. Oh my gosh, I just, when she said you did not do that, and then she punches like twice more in the head. Oh my gosh, just a little foam head going back and forth. I was, I, again, I was dying. It was so good. Oh, so good. how Joan Cusack can keep character here is just a sentiment of her acting ability. Yes. Right. But. Piggy leaps over Rachel and quick changes into her fighting gi, which of course she has on her. And yes, children, we're ending our Christmas special with a kung fu fight. <laughs> Complete with bad dubbing. <laughs> Complete with a terrible joke about badly dubbed old movies. <laughs> I see you are very agile for a plus size pig. Oh my goodness. Oh. And you will be very unattractive with a plus size lip. Kermit finally breaks up the two of them and tells them to calm down and explains Ms. Bitterman may take the theater, but she'll never touch the Muppet Theater in our hearts. But right about here is where Pepe saunters in with another important looking piece of paper. Look, everyone, look, I got some good news, okay? Unless, of course, you're a sexy banker lady, then it sucks, okay? It's a special permit from the city he bought with the money Rachel paid him while he was working as her assistant to designate the Muppet Theater as an official historical landmark. Which means now it's officially preserved. Well done, Pepe. Yeah, right after Fosby Bear, he is the uh, best character in this movie. <laughs> MVP Pepe the King Prawn, who says... When you can help your friends and get revenge on enemies, isn't that what Christmas is all about? Such a good line. <laughs> yeah. Oh my gosh. Yeah, I'm so glad the Muppet Theater is now a historic landmark. That'll prevent the theater from being taken over by a rich Texas oil man in any future installments. Yeah. Thank goodness. Really that good point. Oddly specific will never happen in the future. Good thing. <laughs> so... Rachel storms out of there, shoving poor Bobo the bear in a Santa suit on the way out. I was so confused. Like, why is he in a Santa suit? <laughs> yeah, that ties back to that deleted scene. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> why not? It's Christmas morning at this point. Or is it? No, I don't know. But man, Bobo didn't do anything except come in to invite all the Muppets to come outside and sing Christmas carols with them. Hey, we're all singing Christmas carols outside, and it's snowing, and it's real pretty. You want to come? Yeah! And they're happy to oblige. So we end outside with the whole gang singing We Wish You a Merry Christmas under the bright lights of the now-preserved Muppet Theater. And Joe Snow is back. Joe Snow is back. The Christmas story frog finally gets his tongue unstuck from the pole. We get a quick scene back at the Salvation Army where Fozzie mixed up the bags. They counted the money in with what they already raised and declared it their best Christmas ever and declare someone up there must be looking out for us. And we cut to Daniel in his boss's office as Whoopi explains, people just really need to know what matters in life. And you opened Kermit's eyes and showed him what he already had. They didn't need her intervention. Well, then how did everything work out? Daniel asks. <laughs> and she simply replies, I work in mysterious ways. 
And we fade out and back to the Muppets for a reprise of Everyone Matters, even you. And that is it. We made it, pals. Yeah. Yeah. Although in the DVD deleted scenes, Here there's, we go. <laughs> there's an alternate ending where William H. Macy comes back explaining to all the other angels that he's putting together an incentive program like uh, to help people like his uh, protege, Daniel. Uh, took the initiative following his example. Oh. Oh, wow. <laughs> Bearing false witness in heaven, I see. Yeah. <laughs> Not quite as powerful an ending as uh, the Muppets all singing together. No. Well, what is? <laughs> see, I, I would have liked it if they had cut when they get the money and then instead have a scene at the end, like a post credits like singer. Where it's that Santa Claus just on a beach with a bat. That would have been good. Or even Bobo on the beach. Yeah, that would have been good. This needed more Bobo. Maybe both of them together. There you go. Yes, all (laughs) things for Bobo. A lot of people got the short uh, end of the stick of this, but. Yeah, it's a tricky balancing act when you have so characters yeah and hey they were working to incorporate uh, relatively recent characters like uh, pepe and bobo as well so that's true i do like that about the muppets that there wasn't this hard cut line of well after jim's passing we can't do anything new they still regularly inc- introduce new characters on a yes. regular basis oh yeah you know try them out test them out see what works i like that it's you know they're still got some creative energy Keeps everything fresh while keeping our our old standby still fresh as well. Yeah. Any final thoughts on it's a very merry Muppet Christmas movie? Uh, it's uneven, that's for sure. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> there are certainly some gags and scenes I like better than others, although I think we're just blessed to have such an abundance of quality Muppet material that uh, this... This is something I'm comfortably putting on their B tier for, you know, holiday specials. Yeah, I'd recommend it to, you know, Muppet completionists or people who love the Muppets and just want to try out something new this Christmas. Or maybe somebody's still living mentally in 2002. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, I may know who you're talking about. No, that's, a, that's a good summation, and I I definitely appreciated the a lot of the things they went for in this. It uh, definitely seemed at times that they probably got some uh, studio notes from NBC about like what they should and shouldn't have thrown in there, or probably more like what you should keep adding. Because mm. I feel like if they didn't have that, this could have been like a leaner, meaner, and like much tighter script, and would have been even better. Yeah. But in general, there's a lot of good for what they did and i, I know i said it at the beginning but it, it definitely feels like a dry run for what they ended up getting in the movie which was uh definitely a much more tighter project product overall so oh yeah yeah it it is an interesting time capsule not only of 2002 but also where the muppets were at this time yes in between mm-hmm. theatrical films and uh the disney revival when they did a handful of uh, TV specials like this. Hey, we're only a few years away from Muppet Wizard of Oz. That's right. That's something that everyone ought to love, right? (laughs) (laughs) 
Yeah, no, I, I, I really enjoy. Again, as as Mike knows of that, probably you guys know too. I just, I anything Muppets, ninety nine percent of anything Muppets, I'm, I'm on board with. Um, and so, whether I, whether I actually saw twenty years ago or or not, seeing it again recently was just nice to have this chunk of of essentially unknown Muppetness that I had not uh, really been aware of before. Uh, and again, that middle to last part is just so so top notch like that's a plus muppets to me first part b minus so yeah kind of said t uh b uh b tier i think that's pretty accurate but uh yeah there you go yeah it works his way up to that top shelf material but i i enjoyed this of course i'm going i'm going to enjoy most things muppets and they were really banging on all cylinders by the end yeah Uh, but I understand why it's underwatched because it just missed the Disney boat. So they historically hadn't been too eager to replay it. But thankfully, it seems to have found a yearly spot in Freeform's 25 Days of Christmas. But this is absolutely worth watching, maybe annually, maybe every other year, whatever. Worth your time. Especially if we get those, uh, somebody out there recut the uh, deleted scenes. Let's make a director's cut of this thing. Yeah, I want to see more oh, yeah. of those. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I will gladly watch a full-length Mulan Scourge. Oh, yes. (laughs) But thanks to all of you for lighting the lights with me on this very Merry Muppet Show tonight. Hey, glad to be here. Thanks, Mike. Merry Christmas, everybody. Definitely. I have one question before we go. Shoot. In discussion of uh, Mulan Rouge and what would Muppets do if they remade a movie or a property just starring them, what would you guys pick? Man. Uh, Muppet Knives Out. <laughs> excellent, excellent choice. Um, I'll go with Muppet Dune. Muppet Dune. Uh, I really want to see the Muppet Princess Bride with Carrie Elwes as the only human. That's good. That's good. <laughs> I love it. Like so is Troy McClure. <laughs> <laughs> the one I the, I go to, and I'm honest to God surprised they haven't ha- done a longer adaptation of this, especially because it's public domain. Muppets Robin Hood. Hey, yeah, oh, yeah. I, it's right there. It, uh, I, I maybe it's in the back. I don't know. I, I they're doing Muppets now, and Muppets now is awesome. So I I gotta take what I can get. Yeah, yeah. no. W- whenever they can give us new Muppet content, it's always a good time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, friends, if people want to dazzle you with an Art Nouveau journey of your deep soul, where can they find you on the internet? Lindy. Uh, assuming Twitter's still running, I can be found <laughs> under IE Video Game. Uh, I have other socials that use that or the name Pink Medley. Adam. Uh, best place these days, probably on the grams, the Instagrams, uh, Adam underscore SR Senior. And Eric. All right. I'm a freelance cartoonist, so I'm going to be on the Instagram as well. My account is at Eric Johnson Illustrator. That's Eric spelled E-R-I-K. I also have a website at ericjohnsonillustrator.com. I'm also a podcaster. I've collaborated with our mutual friend, uh, Michael May, many times on the After Lunch Show, where we've talked about both movies, Muppets, and Christmas movies. So. Now I feel like I'm under, underrepresented. <laughs> <laughs> Get in there. 
Uh, and as usual, you can find all of those links as well as my own in the show notes at adventcalendar.house. Well, podcast pals, that wraps a bow on another celebrational season of the Advent Calendar House. Thank you so much for spending your time with me. Thanks, dude. Always, always fun. Merry Christmas. Yeah, Merry Christmas. Yeah. Good night, everyone. <laughs> and now it's time to settle down for a long winter's nap. I will be back again in the summer to count down to Christmas in July. Until then, for Lindy, Eric, and Adam, from somewhere in the heavens by the coffee shrub, even though I don't drink coffee or shrubs. <laughs> this is Mike Westfall reminding you to be careful of the icy patch. Happy birthday, baby Jesus. Only one more sleep till Christmas. Go to bed. You and me. And now, these messages. Are you ready to rewind? My name is Joe Murata. My name's Michael Quinn. And we're inviting you to join us Monday, January 9th, 2023 for Acid Wash Memories. It's a weekly retro pop culture celebration. Whether it's TV shows that we grew up on, maybe video games from the 80s or 90s, discontinued food products, infomercials, one way or another, it'll be a nostalgia-filled ride back to a simpler time. So be sure to subscribe on your favorite podcast app and get ready for Acid Wash Memories coming January 9th, 2023. We wish you a Merry Christmas, we wish you a Merry Christmas, we wish you a Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year. Good tidings to you, wherever you are. Good tidings for Christmas and a Happy New Year. We wish you a Merry Christmas, we wish you a Merry Christmas, we wish you a Merry Christmas, and a Happy New Year. From all of us at the Christmas Podcast Network to all of you, Merry Christmas and a wonderful New Year.
And now, Joe, if I could get one of your famous cheesesteaks to go, I'll be ready to call it a night. Anything for you? One of these years, I'm going to beat him to the check. 